You are listening to the weekly sermon from Elevation Community Church in Blanchester, Ohio. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Phil Nelson. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit myelevationcc.org. Good morning, everyone. So good to be together in worship. You know, where his presence is, there's freedom. Where his presence is, there's joy. Where his presence is, there's healing. Where his presence is, there's peace. So whatever word jumped out to you today, maybe there's a word that you're praying for right now. Maybe it's mercy. Maybe it's, maybe it's new beginnings. Maybe it's wisdom. Where his presence is, there's fullness of joy. Whatever you need this morning, receive it. It's yours in Christ Jesus. We are just uh, one more week away from closing out our worship, three-month worship series of why we worship, what is worship, and how we worship. And last week in the first... Uh, session of how we worship, we looked at we love Jesus. Worship starts and ends with Jesus. If you're worshiping something other than through Jesus, you are worshiping a false gospel or a false God. If you're worshiping on your own efforts and because of your good works, you are worshiping yourself. And so we need to be gospel-centered when we worship. And gospel-centered means it begins and ends with Jesus. All things were created by Jesus. All things are created for Jesus. And by Jesus, he holds all things together. It's all about Jesus. And so if it's all about Jesus... And the definition of worship means the act of freely giving love to God, which then forms and informs every part of our believer's life, the believer's life. Again, the act of freely giving, can you say that big word, love to God? It forms and informs every part of a believer's life. And so if that is true, then we worship God by loving Jesus. How do we love Jesus? With all our mind, with all our hearts, with all our souls, and with all our strength. That means everything we are and everything we have. But it doesn't stop there because if we love Jesus with all that we are and all that we have, then that means we will obey Jesus at all costs. When you don't obey Jesus, you truly are telling him you love him, but yet there's other things before him. And when we don't obey, it's called sin. And when we sin, there's grace through Jesus and forgiveness. That is why we worship Jesus in the first place. And so we obey Jesus out of the love that we have for Jesus. When we obey Jesus, by the way, guess what? We produce fruit. If you don't have obedience in your life to Jesus and to God's word, you will not produce fruit. 
and people on the outside start to see that we're different when our fruit is very much different than what the world provides. But if we are living constantly in rejection and rebellion and resistance to God's word, we will lack fruit. And so we love Jesus by giving him everything we are and everything we have, obeying him because we love him, because he first loved us. And then we really put the proof in the pudding by how we love one another and how we work through life, disagreements, confusion, conflict, differences in denominations, differences in belief, differences in doctrine. We have to love each other, which then proves that we are obeying God, which then points to our love and devotion to Jesus. Amen? And so today we're going to look at two other components. Last week was we love Jesus, and then as we obey and we love him, we lift him up. That's all about worship. We're responding to his greatness as we lift him up, and we become less. Today, there's two other words that Jesus initiated in the Gospels. It is one key essential to new covenant worship. What do I mean by that? We all know that Jesus brought what the old covenant could not provide, a sacrificial lamb that takes away the sins of the world. Goats and lambs and birds and different animal sacrifices would only suffice for a time being for the purification and cleansing of people's sin. And so when Jesus came, he initiated the kingdom in this thing called new covenant by grace through faith in Jesus. And before he went to the cross, Jesus was truly prophesying and fulfilling every step to the cross. And so Jesus is here and he's talking about the new covenant in which he is going to fulfill in the very near future in the gospels. And he says there's one key essential to worship now. Now that the veil is going to be lifted and the temple is no longer a structure or a building, but a people. And he has one key principle for us in worship that is essential to worshiping in the proper way, as we see in the word of God. But that one key principle is broken down into two components. But when the two components, just like pedals on a bicycle, are moving together, it creates this one key essential in the life of a believer. And Jesus points to it in John chapter 4. If you have Bibles with you or a phone with reception that you can get your Bible app, would you turn to John chapter 4? It's the last book in the gospel of the New Testament. We have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and right before Acts. Most of the scripture that we read in John will be on the screen, but I would love for you to underline. And even in your Bible apps, there should be a way to underline and highlight that will save it to your Bible app. And I'd like for us to focus on this one key essential brought to us in two main ingredients. Let's see if we can find them in this scripture. We're going to start with just two verses. 
I'm going to give us a little bit of background to the picture of what is happening in Jesus' day and why it's so important for us to understand. And then we're going to look at what these two ingredients look like in the life of a believer even now in 2023. So let's read John 4, and we're going to read two verses, verse 23 and 24. Here we go. I'm reading from the NLT, New Living Translation. But the time is coming. This is Jesus saying, a new covenant is coming. I will fulfill. It's not here right now, but once I die on the cross and the veil is torn in two, and once I'm put in the tomb and I raise to life, the new covenant has begun. And he says, but the time is coming. And guess what he says? Indeed, it's here now. It's like he says this all the time. The kingdom of God is here. Jesus is saying, I am the Messiah. I am the one to bring the new covenant. I am here. But the fulfillment of what I'm going to do is coming. When true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is searching, looking for those who will worship him that way. What Jesus is saying is this is the new requirement and process and pathway of worship. He is literally introducing the tabernacle in the spiritual design. This is how you enter God's presence. In spirit and in truth. For God is spirit. So those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. So how do we, Elevation Community Church and believers across the globe, worship God? Well, we worship God first and foremost through Jesus Christ. Hebrews 10 says, therefore, we can boldly enter into the presence of God, the throne room where God's glory abides because of Jesus, because our hearts have been sprinkled and cleansed by his blood. This is a new and living way. That is how we enter into God's presence, but we can't do it without entering through two components. That's spirit and in truth. So how do we worship? Can you, can you read that out loud? Here we go. We worship God. Amen. So now you need to understand a little bit of background. Because I really do believe, like myself, when I look into the background and I study it, it comes alive. And things that are hidden, that's why a lot of times Jesus spoke in parables. And the disciples were like, what are you saying? And Jesus is able to explain things. And then after he arose, when the Holy Spirit came, this is why Jesus said the Holy Spirit is our guide, our comfort, our counselor, guides us into truth. Ah, so you mean the Spirit leads us into truth. There's those two words. So a little bit of background. Before Jesus paid the ultimate price 
tore the veil that separated us from the presence of God and allowed the Holy Spirit to come and fill every single believer with the empowering power that raised Jesus from the dead. This only way you can live a spiritual life is through the power of the Holy Spirit, by the way. You cannot do it on your own. And so what happens now is no longer is worship about going to a temple and going through the religious activity. But now it's only, worship is only done through relationship with Jesus. Only. Now we're adopted by the Father God. And Jesus Christ is the head. And he's the groom and we're the bride of Christ. This is worship. It's not about going through the motions anymore. It's not even about a four-wall structure. He ain't there anymore. He's in the presence wherever his people are. That's why Jesus says, Our Father who art in heaven. Heaven does not mean a place above the universe. Heaven means here and now. Heaven means the air that you breathe. The essence of God's presence is here. Do you realize heaven is here? How many step into it and operate in it? How do we do that? Through spirit and in truth. Why? Because Jesus said that that is who the Father is looking for. And when he looks for us and we start to respond in spirit and truth, Jeremiah 29, 12 says we will be found by him. So let's look at the background of this story of Jesus in Samaria at the well with this Samarian woman. We have to understand the background context in order to understand what Jesus is saying. There is an absolute division, hatred, tension, animosity, I mean complete abhorring of the Samarians and the Jews. Why? It goes all the way back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The father of the faith in which Jesus comes from Abraham's offspring all the way down. And you follow all of the, um, all of the offspring and the children of Israel all the way through, 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 through. And we get to King David and his line to the throne, which is Jesus the Messiah. We have to understand what is going on here. So first is Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Jacob has 12 sons. That becomes the 12 tribes of Israel. Jacob is actually given a new name. Do you know what his name is? Israel. Imagine that. So when we have the 12 tribes of Israel, is Jacob. And God vows and makes a covenant that he will bless all 12 tribes of Israel and those who come through the line of Abraham and those who trust in the Messiah, the offspring of Abraham. So we have to understand that. But then Jacob has 12 sons and the one he loves the most is the second youngest named Joseph. And Joseph is hated by his brothers because he's not only favored by Jacob, he's favored by God. And God gives him visions and dreams of things that are to come one day. And so they literally plot to kill Joseph. 
But one of the oldest, if not the oldest, Reuben jumps in and saves the day and says, instead of that, let's just beat him up. Let's tear his robe. Let's soak it in goat's blood. And then let's sell him into slavery. So they sell him into slavery, and Joseph works his way from prison, the depths, the bottom of the barrel, to trusting God in it, and then raising to the, rising to the top, to being Pharaoh's number two. And what happens here is that Joseph unites all the 12 tribes of Israel again. And brings them back. And Pharaoh in Egypt, this is before the Pharaoh that did all the plagues with, uh, no, excuse me, this is before the Pharaoh that put them into uh, even more slavery and bondage, okay? So this is the Pharaoh that gives Joseph favor. And all the tribes get their allotted land and territory and they're blessed. Fast forward just a little bit to a well where Jacob was, which was later called Samaria. This is where Jacob was. He blessed Joseph and his two sons. Joseph's two sons, he blessed them. Now, a blessing back in that day was literally a vow that would happen. It literally was saying, thus says the Lord. And they were blessed by a well in Samaria. And that is known still to this day as Jacob's well. In Samaria. Now they're still considered Israel here. But then what happens years later is Jacob's blessings was fulfilled through Joseph and his two sons. To the land and territory allotted to them. And this land became fertile and plentiful and eventually became known as Samaria. And then, fast forward many years, what happens, and I'm just giving you a background, is Israel then becomes divided. Yes, God's people and his nation is divided into two kingdoms. Northern kingdom, which is Israel, and southern kingdom, which is Judah. Northern kingdom, Israel, was established first as the capital in Shechem, But later, the capital was on the hill of Samaria. This is very important to know. So now, Israel, the northern kingdom, becomes Samaria. In 722 before Christ, Assyria conquered Israel, northern Israel. Most of the people were led into slavery, captivity. These invaders then brought into northern Israel. Israel, which is Samaria, they brought their false idols and all of their false gods. Interesting, which is not the proper worship. And they resettled in that land known as Samaria. These foreigners brought with them their pagan idols of worship, which is which the remaining Jews that were there, there were still thousands of those that weren't in captivity, they started to remarry and mix Mary into 
Not God-honoring relationships. God always said, be equally yoked. Do not marry anyone from foreign countries that do not honor my name. So they compromise worship. So they mixed in other false gods and idols. Samaria, the, the Jews, still worshipped the God of Israel, but they worshipped other false gods. And then they started to even change the laws of God to fit their mixed marriages and mixed nation. Do we know that whenever you try to redefine God's design, you always mess it up? Okay, that's northern kingdom of Israel, which is known as Samaria. Now, the southern kingdom, known as Judah, fell to King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon in 600 BC. So almost all of them were taken into captivity. But 70 years later, you know the story, hopefully, about Daniel in the lion's den and then getting favor with King Darius and the king of Persia, and they let the Jews go back to their home of Judah. And guess what? They planned to build the temple of God as God instructed it to Moses. And how God instructed the tabernacle and the sacrifices to be the Ten Commandments, no other gods above me, right? But here's... The problem. They come to rebuild their city of God in the temple. But now you have the, the northern kingdom called Samaria that has already established their new religion. They have abandoned the ways of God. And so now the Samarias, Samarians absolutely hate the Jews. In Judah, and vice versa. Now, the hatred intensifies between the Jews and the Samaritans. So the Samaritans are living and worshiping in their temple that they built in a way that does not honor God. And now you have, like I said, but I'm going to say it again, now you have the Jews coming back from captivity to rebuild the proper temple and the nation of Yahweh. Can you see the turmoil building. Do we not even have that in our day? And opposition and bitterness and hatred starts to build and they could not stand each other or even be in their presence. So in Jesus' day, the Samaritans and the Jews didn't even look eye to eye, let alone walk through their territory. And yet, five 150 years later, Jesus walks through Samaria and is starting to establish his new covenant. And he stumbles by a well named Jacob's well. It's the very same well. Most scholars will agree with that. The very same well, and what he's starting to do is he's starting to reconcile, restore, and bring back the blessing of Jacob upon Samaria Gentiles who are hated amongst God's people. This is amazing. This is the God we serve. 
And so then, now let's read John 4, 19 to 26 together. Now let's see it through a new lens. The woman at the well says, sir, you must be a prophet. Because he told her everything about her life. This is after he tells her that the water from Jacob's well does not suffice. She will continue to be thirsty. But the water that he gives from Abraham's line, the Messiah, she will never go thirsty again. Are you following me? So she says, tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship? Now we got Jerusalem and Samaria. Jerusalem is the temple of God where his presence resides behind the veil. She says, while we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worshiped. Well, we know about their ancestors, right? They missed it. So let's just stop there for a moment. What Jesus is doing is he is saying, worship will now be based not on a location. Not even the very temple of God in the Old Testament. It's not based on a structure. It's not even based on holy requirements of worship separated by a veil. Worship is now due to a relationship adopted by the Father. And now he says, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship. We know now why, right? While we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews, but the time is coming indeed, and it's here now. What is he saying? Salvation is here. Indeed, it's here now when true, true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him in spirit or that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him, finish with me, must worship in The woman says, okay, you're right. I get it. I've heard this. We're not far off, us Samaritans. And Jesus is saying, you're not far off, but you're a little still mixed up. And she says, I know the Messiah is coming. We know that. The one who is called Christ. Jesus' last name, by the way, is not Christ. Jesus of Nazareth. Christ means Savior. The one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And the one standing at Jacob's well, who just told her everything about her life, says, I am he. I am the Messiah. So if that is true, watch this. Christ at the well of blessing is redeeming not only every division that prevents people to approach God 
and the ways all different people try to approach God. He is restoring the blessing that he gave to Abraham, Jacob, and Isaac, Joseph, and his sons, and to all generation, including yours, who would lay down religion for a relationship with the Messiah. Mic drop. That's it. Now it's available to us. We are now temples of worship through Jesus Christ, but we must believe that Jesus was sent from the Father. We must believe that he died our sinner's death. We must believe that he was buried in our death and he rose again and he is coming again to restore us to him. We have to believe that and then we receive, because of Jesus, we receive the spirit and everything the spirit has to give us. That's why we worship. We have a reason to worship. So how do we worship? I'm so glad you asked. Through spirit and in truth the way Jesus told us to worship. John 4, 24. For God is spirit, and we will worship in spirit and in truth. So let's look at spirit. Two components into one essential principle. The first one is the spirit. We have to understand God is spirit. He's not a physical being. Many scholars believe we won't even be able to necessarily tangibly, even in our new bodies, see him in physical matter. But his glory and his presence and his majesty will fill the temple. God is spirit. But he has a wonderful kind of existence that is everywhere present. And now available to us because of Jesus. I don't, want to, I don't want to distract us from John chapter 4. But just look at 2 Corinthians 3 verse 16 through 18 real quick. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil, the veil, the veil that separates us in the old covenant. The veil is now torn and lifted through faith, belief in Jesus. Now the Lord is the spirit. Now the Lord is the spirit. Now the Lord is the spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. For liberty, for freedom, Christ has set us free. And it says this, and we all with unveiled face that means it's no longer worshiping in a temple you are the dwelling place for god are being transformed into the image of jesus christ from one degree of glory to another for this comes from the lord who is everyone the the spirit we worship him in spirit. Now, our worship is not restricted to a physical location, a specific time. Instead, it is an overflow of our spirits connected and engaged with the spirit of the Lord. To worship God in spirit, we ourselves must engage our entire being, our souls, which is our will, our mind and emotions, our body, and our spirits. 
And we connect with his spirit by adoring him and honoring him and surrendering to him. You see, true worship is not limited to actions or rituals. But it involves a very deep, personal connection with God from Monday to Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. We're connected in relationship with God. We're connected in relationship to our Savior, Jesus. And we are engaged in relationship with the Holy Spirit that wants to fill us continually day after day. When we worship in spirit, hear me, just as Jesus said, and just as Jesus was, we engage in a soul-stirring connection with our Creator. Mind, emotions, will, body. Does that sound familiar to any scripture that we hear Jesus say about the greatest commandment? We are to love the Lord our God with all our hearts, our soul, our mind, our strength, everything. With our spirits engaged and in relationship with his spirit. That is worshiping in alignment with the Spirit of God. So, let's look at the second component, truth. We've got spirit, and now we've got truth. Our worship must be grounded in truth. What is truth? It's what God says is true. It's his word that is inerrant, never failing, always true, and will never be destroyed. It's his word that he writes upon our hearts. It's his truth that tells us who we really are, not what this world defines you as. It's who we are because God said that's who you are. And it's who he is because that's who God says he is. We live in a day where truth is not absolute anymore. You want to believe you're a toaster in a microwave, you can be a microwave. You want to believe that God is this some God that looks like this and looks like this and does this and does this, you can believe it. There's no absolute truth anymore here. But that doesn't mean that Jesus isn't still on his throne. And it doesn't mean that this word isn't true because it is. And it will stand the test of time. Because we serve and we are a part of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. So we worship in spirit, but we are also aligned in truth of who God is. And who God says we are. John 17, just a few chapters later. Jesus says this about truth. Jesus prays the prayer of unity that that my my. My children and my sheep will be one. And he says this, sanctify them. Excuse me, let's go with 15. I do not ask that you take them, meaning his followers, his representatives to the world. I pray that you don't take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of this world, just as I am not of this world. So sanctify them. Sanctify them means consecrate. Set them apart. 
cleanse them, sanctify them in the what? In the what? In the what? Everybody. Truth. Sanctify them in the truth, for your word is, everybody, truth. You cannot worship God if you are not worshiping through truth. And believe me, Christians all throughout different churches, they're worshiping sometimes not even God the Father, and they don't even know it, and their intentions are good, but they're not aligned in truth because they're shepherd, they're under shepherds, and people teaching the word of God are teaching them not the full truth and nothing but the truth. <laughs> not equipping their people. That's a problem. And so I want to read this, that, that true worship encompasses a genuine desire to know God intimately. Guys, guys, those of you who are married or will be married, you will not be able to know your wife through and through if you do not understand the truth about your wife. That means who she is. That means who she was born to. That means if she was adopted and what happened in her life. That everything that makes up who she is, is the truth about her. Especially what the word of God says about your wife. If you understood the word of God, that talks about how you're to love your wife, you wouldn't be doing what you're doing to your wife. Women, wives, and I say this with a heart of compassion. You can't truly love, respect, walk with, and be a partner with your husband if you don't know what makes him who he is. You have to spend time with him. And then you also need to know the truth of God, of what God says about him, his leadership, his role how he's wired, and how he's gifted. And in the same way, we need to be in an intimate relationship with God through his word and in spirit. So let me wrap this all up, okay? Let me wrap this all up, and it's on, on the screen for you. What is spirit and truth worship? What is it? We need to know what it is in order to worship how Jesus said we should worship. It is first worship that is spiritual in every respect. In its source, mediator, object, subject, basis, and method. Everything we covered. It passes from believers to God through a spiritual mediator named Jesus, our Savior. Next. Its object is spiritual, namely, God who is spirit. Its subject is spiritual matters. This worship can include physical matters, such as singing and studying, shouting, clapping, dancing, lifting of hands. But it comprehends the spiritual realm as well as the physical. Its basis is the spiritual work that Jesus Christ did in his incarnation and atonement. Its method is spiritual as contrasted. I know this is heavy words, but I'm trying to give you the picture. Contrasted with physical, it does not consist of merely physical actions, but involves the interaction of our human spirit with the divine spirit of God. That is worshiping in spirit and in truth. 
Thank you for listening to our weekly sermon. If you'd like to go deeper with another resource from our church, please check out our weekly Impact Bible Study podcast as well. Both of our podcasts are available on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud.